Welcome to Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine. Every fortnight we enter Room 106, the world of pain into which all new planning information is deposited, and extract the key things you need to know. In this edition, yet another new housing minister has taken the reins at the levelling up department. We'll ask what Lee Rowley's return to the role means for planning. Meanwhile, the government has confirmed the date on which some planning application fees will go up by 35%. We'll examine the small print. And a range of commentators have spoken to us about when we can expect the various measures in the Leveling Up and Regeneration Act to come into force. We'll explain what we found out. And on top of all that, we'll also round up some of the other big news stories of the past fortnight. So, ready to go in? Let's do it. Well, back again in room 106. Yes, what a place. Every new bit of planning information is filed in here somewhere. Who knows how far underground these chambers go. I can faintly hear the pounding of the drilling machines. They must be making space for the secondary legislation to implement the Leveling Up Act. So I wonder who our guides are going to be this week. Ah, here's Planning's Insight Editor, Samantha Eckford. Hello, Sam. Hello, Richard. And our regular contributor, Ben Cochin, is also here. Hello, Ben. Hi, Richard. So, first I'm going to turn to you, Sam. So we have a new housing minister. Tell us what happened to Rachel McLean, the last housing minister. Yes, so this is the news that last Monday, the 13th of November, uh, Housing and Planning Minister Rachel McLean was asked to step down after just nine months or 279 days in the role. When she was appointed in February this year, she became the country's 15th housing minister since 2010 and the 6th in just over a year. But she was removed from the role last week as part of Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's ministerial reshuffle. Do we have any indication about why she might have been asked to step down? This is something we've been trying to understand. So commentators have suggested that the increased profile of housing issues and attempts to shift to the centre ground may have contributed to the decision to remove her from office. It was suggested that despite some of the industry regarding her as bright and confident, she might not have the media presence of her successor, which was felt potentially to be needed as we head towards a general election. What has she herself said about her sacking? Well, in announcing her sacking last Monday, she said that she was disappointed and that it had been a privilege to hold the position and that she would never lose her passion for housing and planning. In a further series of posts uh, published on X a couple of days later, in which she claimed to have been the fourth busiest minister in Parliament in October. She pledged to hold her successor, Lee Rowley, and Secretary of State for levelling up Michael Gove to account from the back benches. Describing politics as brutal and unfair, she also took the opportunity to criticise opposition parties' approaches and went on to say that, in her view, housing and immigration are inextricably linked and said that she had seen the worst hypocrisy of her political career in this debate. Right, pretty extraordinary. That's, a, that's a highly unusual, despite the fact that we've had plenty of instances of ministers leaving the, the, the housing and planning role in recent years. I don't think I've ever come across a case where that sort of uh, angry reaction has, has come from, uh, from somebody leaving the job, or, or certainly not publicly. And also, it's interesting, so she, she actually announced her, um, her sacking. This wasn't something that... Um, it, this didn't come via official announcement. It, it, it broke via her own um, statement on Twitter. 
Yes, that's correct. And I think it's fair to say that her sacking was met with a, a degree of surprise um, from the sector, with many commentators moaning what they described as a, a shockingly high turnover of housing ministers, as of course she becomes the latest to be replaced in the role. Yeah, well, there will naturally be some disappointment in the sector about someone leaving the role when they've been there for uh, for 279 days. It takes time for ministers to bed in in the department. It takes time for them to gain a, a, a deeper understanding of some of the issues. And it's uh, it's always very frustrating. I mean, just when they've got their head around some of those things that, that they, uh, they get moved on. But moving on to her successor, what can you tell us about Lee Rowley? Lee Rowley is the MP for North East Derbyshire, um, and he first joined the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities as Parliamentary Undersecretary of State in September last year. He was briefly responsible for the housing and planning brief during former Prime Minister Liz Truss's short-lived tenure. Since being replaced in that role by Lucy Fraser in November last year, he served as Minister for Local Government and Building Safety. During his previous stint in the role, Rowley was supportive of Truss's plans to scrap what she described as centrally set house-building targets. Uh, He's also been outspoken in opposing Greenbelt development within his own constituency and has previously called for a regional approach to planning. Of course, somewhat unusually, uh, he is a familiar figure to those in the sector uh, as he has been making a few call-in decisions um, on behalf of the Secretary of State over the past year. Okay, and I guess it's a good thing that he's not a complete newcomer to the role. As you say, he's got some experience of um, planning casework as a as a minister, and yes, he, he does have that few weeks of experience really under Liz Truss as housing minister before, so um, so not a complete newcomer. What about other appointments in the reshuffle that listeners might need to know about? Simon Hoare was confirmed as the new minister for local government, um, which was Rowley's former brief. Meanwhile, Baroness Penn, who was once Prime Minister Theresa May's deputy chief of staff, has been made a levelling up and housing minister in the House of Lords. Elsewhere, Secretary of State for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs Therese Coffey announced her resignation from government and has now been replaced in the role at DEFRA by Steve Barclay. OK, Sam. Well, uh, thank you very much for that. Sounds like the reshuffle is now pretty much complete, but uh, just in case there are any more sudden uh, surprise departures or arrivals, I'll leave you in here keeping an eye on the announcements of new ministerial appointments. Yes, I'll keep an eye out and see you soon. Now, Ben, if I can turn to you, you've been talking to a number of people in the last week or so about what happens next with the Leveling Up and Regeneration Act. So can I start by just asking you to remind us of some of the key ways in which the Act is due to change the system? Oh, now, the uh, Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill has been talked about and has been going through Parliament for quite a long time. It's collected during that time quite a rag bag of proposals and we're going to go on and talk about some of them in more detail but you've got things like community land auctions, high street rental auctions, revision of compulsory purchase order processes, national development management policies, infrastructure levy, abolition of the duty to cooperate, a whole host of ideas that have eventually got the royal approval, the royal assent, which happened at the end of October. Just, they squeezed it in before the king's speech. 26th of October, 
it had to be done by, and they just got it by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it was quite a, a tight thing. But as I understand it, the Act has now got royal assent, but quite a lot still needs to happen before any of those measures actually take effect. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, you know, all these proposals, all the consultations got launched with a great fanfare. And indeed, on the 26th of October, thereabouts, they put out a press release about how all these things are going to happen. All these reforms are going to take effect. But actually, if you look behind it, it's what's called a Framework Act. Now, what's a Framework Act? A Framework Act is a piece of enabling legislation which allows the government to then introduce secondary legislation, regulations, a whole gamut of things which actually are required before anything could really happen. So it's enabling, it's not actually doing the stuff. So there's quite a lot to happen. And, and actually, some of the ideas, they're quite complex. They're going to take a lot of regulation and they may never happen. Or they may indeed happen in slightly different form. We don't really know. And they're quite contentious, some of it. So has the government got the guts? Has the government got the support amongst its members for some of the ideas? And there are a number of things happening, obviously. We've got a general election within the next year, quite possibly. Are they going to want to bring some of this, these things in? An upset, actually, probably mainly Tory voters. It's a big question. So bearing all that in mind, when are the first Leveling Up Act provisions likely to come into effect and what provisions are they likely to be? Well, a few of the provisions actually have dates when they're going to come into effect. The date is actually two months after Royal Assent, so basically the 26th of December, Boxing Day. Boxing Day councils will have additional powers to put pressure on developers to implement their schemes within a timely fashion. So councils be able to actually not approve schemes put forward by developers where the developers have been slow in implementing other permissions they've had. That's an interesting one, and, and it's been controversial, hasn't it, because people have said, well, this is breaking an age-old planning principle that uh, you judge the quality of the scheme, not the person who's bringing it forward. But... Um, mm. But yes, now that is a, um, a radical new measure. And clearly it's about land banking. They want to be seen to be doing something about land banking where house builders particularly hold on to sites and just trickle feed through development to keep prices high. Yes, something which, of course, the development industry argues is very much overstated, but um, not, not a debate we can, uh, we can conclude <laughs> here, I guess. No. <laughs> It'd be a quite a complicated one, I would imagine, for or councils to use, in fact, because demonstrating that a, a developer is slow in bringing forward schemes is, is going to be quite um, quite challenging. And, and probably they will get, developers will then respond by saying, well, listen, there are all these different conditions. There are reasons why we're not building on the sites quicker. So it's going to be, it's, it's not an easy one at all. Okay, Ben. Well, and, and what about other measures in the Act to put a bit more pressure on developers or intended to put more pressure on developers to build out more quickly. Uh, are any of those likely to be brought into effect in the immediate future? 
on the 26th of December, what we've got is a new requirement uh, for developers to produce, to issue commencement notices to show that they've started a scheme. And then councils will then issue a completion notice when it's eventually been finished. So we've got a little bit more control here for councils actually to manage development, which is quite an interesting innovation. Yes, and as I understand it, these completion notices are something that councils have been able to use before, but this is all about making it easier for them to to use them, I I think. Yes, this is all about giving councils more control on the way schemes are built out. Up to now, it's been generally used for Section 106 contributions, which are geared to the rollout of a development, but now it's becoming much wider. And what are the other provisions in the Act that we think the government is keen to get on with most quickly? Well, we have this new thing called Environment Outcome Reports, which they want to introduce, and that's likely they could theoretically come in on uh, December the 26th. Uh, These uh, would replace environmental impact assessments. That's slated for the 26th of December, and they've been consulting on the detail of these new reports, but they got a very large number of responses, and the final regulations haven't yet been published. So the chances of them coming in on the 26th of December are pretty remote, I think. That's what people are saying anyway. They're complicated and they're a bit contentious as well. So there are a number of elements of the Act which could be introduced reasonably quickly. They are what one might call oven-ready, but they actually haven't been given a date for introduction. So that's things like a new clause 73B of the Town and Country Planning Act 1990, which would make it easier. And it's something developers have been asking for, and some councils, uh, that they can more easily amend planning permissions, detail of planning permissions. Whereas now, and there have been various legal cases around this, where they've been forced to make new applications where they're minor amendments. That could happen quite quickly, and, and, and we, but we haven't got a date. Similarly, also giving more protection to registered parks and gardens to give them the same planning protection as listed buildings. They could do that quite quickly. These are all proposals in the Act or clauses in the Act, but they haven't been given a date. We don't really know why, but it could happen quite quickly. What about aspects of the Act, you know, other key aspects of the Act, but which are likely to take longer? Well, there's the whole issue of planning reform, just, just that little issue, you know, planning reform and revision of the NPPF, introduction of national development management policies, the 30-month plan. These are all provisions within the Act. The plan to get local plans made within 30 months start to finish. Yeah, the national development management policies, they're all in there. And there's this entanglement between the Act and revision of the NPPF. And the revisions of the NPPF were supposed to come out immediately after the Act got uh, on the statute book. Hasn't come yet, might come. And then then you could see the whole rollout of some of the provisions in the Act, like the National Development Management Policies. And all this is really simply time-sensitive, because under the transition register, there have been consultations on all this. These new style plans are supposed to come in on the 30th of June 2025. Councils need a long time to prepare for that. So (laughs) 
people are really not very sure exactly how this is all going to roll out. But it's all entangled between the Act and the NPPF revisions. And I think all I can say is people need to keep their eyes peeled because it could happen reasonably quickly or it could be drawn out. There are some contentious issues within the NPPF revisions that may mean that it gets put on the back burner. Who knows? Okay, Ben. So what do commentators say the government needs to do to progress some of these measures? Well, the first thing we need to do is to get the revised NPPF out. There have been consultations on it. I think the consultation finished very early this year, and we haven't seen it. We need to have all that. And then they need to go out to consultation on the national development management policies, these overriding policies which will determine a lot of policies that will then plans will respond to and and we need to get that revised npp out as soon as possible if anything's going to happen with the proposals in the act okay well thank you very much ben anything else that people need to be aware of as uh, as the act is concerned well i think there's one thing that really rather amused me amused doesn't write the word um abolition of the duty to cooperate government great fanfare earlier on consultations uh, duty to cooperate's going and the act indeed says that with a big but until the details of the its replacement the alignment test comes in the duty to cooperate is still there so i guess if your plan is going to examination before uh, the, the, it gets replaced you have to look at the duty to cooperate. The inspector will want to see that. Yeah, absolutely. It's going, but until its replacement has been devised, it's not going anywhere. It's still there. Yeah. Exactly. And it's funny, actually, because there have been lots of... You know, I, I, I talked this round to a lot of people, and some, said, some people thought it had gone, some people thought it was still there. Uh, even some of the lawyers I spoke to. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Ben. There's clearly going to be uh, lots to, to follow in the future. So... Um, I'll leave you here examining the paperwork as it comes in and uh, look forward to seeing you in Room 106 again soon. I, I look forward to it, Richard. Thank you. Okay, John, well, turning back to you now, we reported last week that the date on which some planning application fees will rise has now been confirmed after regulations introducing the measure were approved by Parliament. So just to start off with, how much will fees rise by? So the government is raising fees for major applications by 35% and by 25% for all other applications. In addition, the fees are going to be adjusted annually in line with inflation from the 1st of April 2025 which is going to be based on the Consumer Prices Index from the previous September. But any annual fee increases are going to be capped at 10%. The regulations that have been approved state that the maximum fee for major residential applications will rise to 405,000, while the fee for householder applications will increase from £206 to £258. And this is a very significant move because application fees have not been increased since January 2018 when there was a 20% across-the-board increase and the under-resourcing of council planning departments has become an ever more urgent issue in the past five years. And it's hoped that this increase will help address this problem. 
And what date will the fees rise on? It comes into force on Wednesday, the 6th of December, which is 28 days after the uh, regulations were made. So how much money does the government expect this to raise? The Leveling Up and Housing Department has estimated that the increase will provide roughly an extra £65 million annually for local authorities. And it says in its explanatory memorandum alongside the regulations that this will help address the continuing gap on cost recovery for planning application fees and help local planning authorities to deliver a more efficient planning service. But it also estimates that there will be a funding shortfall of about £160 million per year. Okay, John, and just to be clear, when when they talk about cost recovery, that means that the funding shortfall of £160 million pounds a year means that the cost of processing planning applications is 160 million more across English local authorities than the revenue they get from application fees. Yes, even after this 65 million pounds increase. Right, okay. So it's still some way short. Well, it's still a long way short. And in addition, this money isn't going to be ring-fenced for planning departments despite the government initially proposing that it would be and there being overwhelming support for it in a consultation. So the government initially consulted on the fee increase in February and it suggested then that additional income from the increase should be ring-fenced for spending within the local authority planning departments. But despite 88% of the consultation responses supporting this measure, the government later said it wouldn't be taking it forward it said that ring fencing would impose a restriction on councils who are best placed to make funding decisions. Then in September, peers in the House of Lords blocked an opposition amendment to the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill, which is now an act, that would have allowed councils to set their own application fees. OK, so although the application fee rise is, is, is presumably going to be welcome, certainly in, in local authorities, the way it's being introduced is... Um, is not quite the way in which um, local authorities hoped it would be. What about the regulations that brought all this in? Did they introduce anything else at the same time? Yes, so there's several other measures in relation to application fees. So it abolishes the so-called free go for repeat applications, which allows an applicant to reapply within 12 months for planning permission for the same site and not have to pay a further fee. So that's something that should boost local authority income. Uh, It also tightens up the timescale for the planning guarantee right of refund for applicants that are submitting non-major applications, which means they can reclaim their fee if a decision hasn't been made by a council within 16 weeks of submitting the application. And currently the deadline is 26 weeks, so it's shortening that. And it also introduces a £120 fee for applications for prior approval for certain permitted development rights by the Crown on Ministry of Defence sites. And overall, what's been the attitude of the sector to the uh, fees increase? Well, we know that both councils and many developers have long been calling for planning fees to rise. They're both very concerned about the local authority resourcing crisis that has seen planning teams cut to the bone and morale at rock bottom. And you'd expect councils to support any fee increase, but many developers and bodies like the British Property Federation have also been supportive of this because they believe they'll get a better service from planning departments if they're better resourced. And crucially, that would mean quicker determination of applications, which is, of course, very important for developers. 
In the 2021 planning consultancy market reports, 45% of respondents to our survey agreed that local planning authorities should be able to increase planning application fees, while only 32% disagreed. So um, there's strong support for it in the development sector as well as among planners. Interesting. What else has been going on in the news in the past week? So the Secretary of State, Michael Gove, has granted planning permission for a new Category B prison for up to 1,700 inmates in Lincolnshire against the advice of a planning inspector who had recommended that the scheme be refused. In other news, a High Court judge has quashed a planning inspector's refusal of plans for a sand and gravel quarry in the Warwickshire Greenbelt, ruling that the official made an error of law in his assessment of the weight that should be attached to the scheme's proposed level of biodiversity net gain. Elsewhere, Liverpool City Council is investigating how and why emails from a resident to his local councillor expressing concerns about proposals to expand a waste facility were reportedly intercepted by its planning department. In Essex, Tendering District Council has agreed to pay out more than £100,000 to a developer after an inspector found that its unreasonable refusal of a 180-home scheme, which was turned down against officer advice, warranted a full award of costs. And finally, the planning system could be streamlined by moving towards a zoning or rules-based system, similar to plans that were set out in the government's 2020 planning white paper. The government's competition regulator, the Competition and Markets Authority, has concluded in a preliminary report. Thanks, John. And anything from the sort of more uh, offbeat end of, uh, of planning news? Yes, a story that caught my eye and the attention of readers was a local newspaper report that led our newspaper roundup. It said that Broxtow Borough Council in Nottinghamshire approved plans for 470 new homes on former school playing fields. But some planning committee members, despite approving the scheme, strongly criticised the development's design as rubbish, poorly designed, cramped and pretty boring, according to the report. And obviously the design quality of new developments has been a big concern of the government recently. They've changed national planning policy to help councils refuse schemes they consider to be poorly designed. But it's interesting to see that some schemes are still being approved where the design has been called into question. Interesting. Well, thanks very much for that, John. And of course, listeners can read more on all those stories at planningresource.co.uk. Well, I think our work is done. Let's get out before there are any more announcements or decisions. Great. That's another few weeks summarised. Yes, we'll be back with a bonus edition in a week's time. In the meantime, don't forget to enter the planning awards and give yourself and your team the opportunity to get the recognition that you deserve. If you aren't a Room 106 subscriber already, you can subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts. And to get a daily bulletin of planning news, plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Our thanks to producers Inga Marsden from Haymarket Business Media and Daisy Chaku from Rethink, and thanks for listening. See you next week.